Hello, welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources in how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Hello, listeners. I hope you're having a great holiday season and catching your breath. First off, I'd like to thank a few listeners before making a couple of announcements. I'd like to thank Joaquin and Jennifer Hernandez. I'd like to thank Roger Songster. Thanks, Roger, for leaving such a great review on iTunes. Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, I'd also like to thank Jesse Wentworth in Virginia and Drew Nordstrom here in Seattle. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I'd like to invite listeners to go to my website at www.basecampformen.com for a couple reasons. If you put your name in the newsletter sign-up sheet, you're going to be in the loop as we start to ramp up season two. You won't miss any episodes. You'll know when to go back to iTunes or wherever you listen and grab the new episodes. And also, when you sign up, you're going to have opportunities in 2020 to participate in some of the offerings that we're going to have at Basecamp for Men. I'm super excited about continuing the conversation, continuing to grow men's groups and chances for us to be in these conversations together. Um, I think it's really important and I'm really excited about it. So go do that. And lastly, when you sign up for the newsletter, there's a little window where you can make comments. Go ahead and vote for your favorite episode or episodes as we'll be compiling the votes and then we're going to run a listener's favorite probably January 14th, which will be our last show of season one. Okay. Thank you, listeners, and enjoy episode 36. One of the subtopics on base camp is the raising of boys who will one day be our men. Our public school system is problematic in the development of our boys. And this is not a knock on all the good people who teach and administer in public schools. It's just that having our boys sit at a desk and do assigned menial work without much collaboration or creative problem solving is essentially preparing them to sit and obey an authority figure. It's social engineering. It's good preparation for the military or a life of following orders, but is it maximizing their potential? I have often thought that if you ran the schools like a business with our young people as the customers, you would have very different schools. And I remember asking my young son, Lucas, I think he was about eight or nine at the time. I said, so if you're the customer, what does the school need to change to work better for you? You know what he said? First off, better food. He said, the food is awful. Why don't they feed us healthier, better tasting food? Okay, what else? I asked him. Well, we need more free time, more time to collaborate on projects with your friends. And we need more time outside and on field trips out in the world to learn. Now, that sounds like a pretty great school to me. What kid would not want to go to that school? And sure, you, you still need time for math and you need to learn how to read and all that. But the boys in particular would be much more engaged in this sort of school, wouldn't they? And I'm not saying I have all the answers to how to best educate our kids. It's just that it's so obvious to the customers, them, that their time is precious too. And why do they have to have such a regimented curriculum? Even the teachers look burned out and frayed by the system. My guest today states that the education system today is primarily used as a social sorting device instead of vibrantly educating our children. That's an interesting notion. And lastly, I think we consistently underestimate our young people. It's an old habit that we adults have that says that kids really don't understand the world, and so they need to sit on the sideline while us VIP adults handle the important projects of the world. And I think this is a mistake. Kids come with an innate creativity and sense of possibility that is often missing in adults. It's been educated out of us. Sure, some of their ideas are wild and far-fetched, but in their free-flowing creativity, they will sometimes hit on ideas that adults just can't conceive. What if we had kids of all ages working on the important problems of the world? I'm being serious. 
What solutions would they come up with? I, for one, am curious. Rick Ackerley is a nationally recognized educator and speaker with 45 years of experience working in and for schools. Rick has served as headmaster of four independent schools and has been a consultant and coach to teachers, school leaders, and parents for many years. He publishes a new essay each week on his blog, GeniusChildren.org, and the second edition of his first book, The Genius in Every Child, Encouraging Character, Curiosity, and Creativity in Children, is available on his website at www.rickackerley.com. Here is my interview with Rick Ackerley. Okay, I am here with Rick Ackerley. Uh, Rick is the author of The Genius in Every Child. Rick, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Great to see you. Yeah, we we, we sometimes do uh, episodes on parenting boys in particular. Not that we think boys are more important, but they're, they're, they've been in a bit more trouble in school and in the way that they've struggled and stuff. I wanted to start off with a quote from an article I saw that you had written, and it's a quote by Yuri uh, Bronfenbrenner speaking to a group of teachers and parents. And he says, do you realize that it is distinctly possible for a child to reach the age of 18 without ever having done something upon which someone else depends? Yeah, I love that quote. It, it's a great quote. Then you followed up in the article with a story about um, your work with Max, who was not doing well in school and, and had low self-esteem. And I just wanted to kind of tee that up for you. Tell us a little bit about the story about Max. Well, there are many Maxes, and I picked Max because it's a very tidy story about obvious success of one of my core concepts, which is not to diagnose, but to engage kids in, in uh, collaborating, creating, and contributing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's a story about that. I was, for four years, when I was much younger, I was a teacher in a boarding school. Mm -hmm. And we had an apartment at the end of a hall. Down the hall lived 10 kids, uh, ninth graders. They were 14, 15-year-olds. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and one day, I got back from lunch and about 2 o'clock went down the hallway. And uh, Max was in his room. And there's a rule you're not supposed to be in, your, in the dorm after lunch. Um, instead of doing the, uh, the typical thing of uh, making him go outside and giving him a demerit or something like that, I said, hey, will you do me a favor? Or no, actually, I think I said, will you help me with something? Yeah. yeah. Which is actually a critical line. Parents use that line all the time. Hey, would you help me with something? Yeah. And, uh, and he was very surprised, but he said, sure. I'd noticed he was a photographer. And in a month, I, had to, I explained to him that in a month, I have to do an assembly for the whole school. And I want to do a slideshow. And I had some model soldiers, and I wanted to play Tchaikovsky's uh, 1812 Overture. Mm -hmm. And the slides would be of the model soldiers uh, marching around, you know, making war on each other. And, um, and he said, sure. So we went out into the outdoors, mm -hmm. set the soldiers up in nice locations. Uh, he, was a, he was my teammate setting things up, and then he would take pictures of them. And we did a lot in one day, but uh, it took many afternoons. So he was my partner in, in making an assembly. It's a silly little thing, mm -hmm. but it was an act of creation. And it, it, uh, it hit on one of his skills, which was photography, one of his loves, which is photography. 
And uh, sure enough, not only was it a great assembly, but, um, but he changed. He changed. People were saying he had low self-esteem. He was, he wasn't, you know, he was failing. On, and, and this got wind in his sails and completely changed his behavior. Just from you requesting him to use some of his natural ability in an area that he really would like to, right? Right. The core thing is not his natural ability. The core thing is he became a partner with me. I partnered up with him. Yep. We became a team. So we collaborated. And what did we do? We created something. And we created something that made a difference, that contributed to the school community. Yeah. We collaborated, created, and contributed. And uh, I had a... Um, great kindergarten teacher once who said, I see every unused ability in my class as an incipient behavior problem. Uh, and, and indeed, and actually often they were boys. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But he was, she had, had that same intelligence that I had the same, not, not wisdom, which is, which is find their ability and use it. Right. Right. And it, it, your, your quote of so many boys are suffocating in their unused abilities. Oh, right? the, gosh. The, school, the schools, yes. the schools, the public schools in particular. Oh, yes. They're cookie cutting the boys and and they're not able to use all of this creativity that they that they sit on. Right. Yeah. And they've ever since No Child Left Behind, it's been much worse. Correct. But the culture of these schools is the same culture about which Mark Twain said, I never let my schooling interfere with my education. Yeah. yeah, 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 schooling, yeah. schooling is act, as delivered in America. Schooling is, schooling is basically a social sorting device. Mm-hmm. All the time, they do, every time they do research, they discover that's what it does. It sorts them into, into uh, good or bad, uh, smart or dumb. Rick, why is it that it seems boys in particular struggle with the setup of a public school more than girls because I my son's 12 and I watched him go through grade school and you know the the girls often were studious and they they could sit and study and do the work and the boys looked restless and like they really wanted to be out building a fort you know and yeah yeah well it's kind of against my religion to say all, all boys are this way and all girls are others but in general you're absolutely right boys like to be like to make a difference. They like to be active. They like to use their bodies and be active and feel like they're mattering to somebody. Right. So it just completely changed the venue. Many, many years later, I was uh, lucky enough to be invited to speak with a group of, of 10 uh, high school kids who mm-hmm. were already uh, parents. Mm-hmm. They all had kids. They were unwed mothers and um, still going to school. And, and it was a very, very interesting conversation. They said how bad it was, how boring it was, how dumb it was, and how it, it's wasting their time. And they said, it's even worse for boys. Yeah. At least we can, we can get pregnant and uh, take care of a kid and love somebody. And we're feeling like we're making a difference there, but boys don't have that. They have to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you said in the article I read that kids come into the world pre-motivated. What did you mean by that? Yeah, we all do, all humans. I mean, I, I, I have nine grandchildren. I have a two-year-old. My youngest is two-year-old. Mm-hmm. She's obviously motivated. <laughs> She's internally yeah. motivated to do stuff. 
And, and actually, uh, one of my favorite researchers is a professor at Berkeley, a psychology professor. She works with little kids. And she says that, that kids are scientists. Her research shows that they're not empty vessels to be filled up with information. They're not blank slates to be written on. They're scientists in the world. Every move they make is a research project. It's a hypothesis they're testing. Mm -hmm. The way they pick the cup up, the way they knock the cup off the table, spilling food on the floor, and as they get older, figuring out who's going to pick that up. Does anybody care? Are the parents get every move they make is a research project. And so by the time kids walk in the door of a kindergarten on the first day of school, they have been doing research on the world for 43,000 hours. Absolutely. 43,000 hours. Now, if a kindergarten teacher is not as smart as Beth Campbell and they are just getting the kids to do well on tests, they think we got to teach them how to read, we got to teach them math, and that's all we care about. And, and also, we got to maintain order and we have to teach them discipline, meaning to obey. Yep. Sit quietly and wait till I give you this one thing to do. Right, right. Well, most of them are going to say, well, that's a stupid thing to do. I did that two years ago. Or why is that important? All kids, before, before kids, before school messes with their brain, all kids want to collaborate. You ask a kindergartner, what are you looking forward to in school? What do they say? Make friends. Yep, yep. And, 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 and by their behavior, what do they want to do? Create and then if you're smart enough to realize, and they really want to help you. <laughs> right, right. I love, I love what you said here, where you said, by the age of seven, kids are aware of world problems and want to get yeah. to work on them. Right, right, right. right. I've, I've noticed this a lot when my son was little, all the way through, he's like, what are we going to do about the plastic in the ocean? Exactly. You know, we got to get to work on this, right? They really care about not all of them in all places in any way they have different senses of what the world problem is. Yeah. But they all want to be part of the team. They want to be part of the community. It's, yeah. In fact, it's essential. It's homo sapiens got to where we are because we got good at collaborating. Right. We got good at collaborating because we got good at using words to communicate, you know? And sure, they don't expect that they're going to get a PhD in it and going to teach about it now. They realize they have to learn a lot, but they want to be part of the team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They want to help out. You, you had mentioned overparenting, and I wanted to ask you about this. Like, what exactly is overparenting, and what are the signs that somebody might be overparenting? Right, right. That's a good question. I want to preface my answer by saying, we things really started to go south maybe a generation or two ago mm -hmm. when parents became a verb. <laughs> mm -hmm. when you have a baby you are a parent and what do you do with that child well you love them you automatically just oh my god i'm crazy about them that's number one and number two you uh you want to you know help them you know be all that they can be but they but you've got to realize they are wanting to be all that they can be more than you do. And they know more about what that is than you do, even at the age of two. You don't want them to do art. You want them to study math. But they know they're an artist. My youngest daughter at the age of two said, I am an artist. Yeah. <laughs> right. And now right. she's a geologist. And now she's an architect. But still, you know, there are three things that all kids need. They need unconditional love. They need boundaries mm -hmm. and they need 
to maximize their decision making. Mm. So parents are overparenting if they inhibit their decision making. Got it. But and doing you want to do all three three at once. Mm-hmm. So loving unconditionally, if that means to you, but don't set boundaries, but don't tell your son not to pick on your daughter or vice mm-hmm. versa. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. don't talk to don't, don't talk to your brother that way mm-hmm. Par- that's good parenting is to help kids understand the real world the function of you know what really is happening here in this world and what you have to do to survive you drive on the right side of the road you don't drive on the left you stop at the at the light you stop at the crosswalk and wait till the light turns green and then look both ways these are things that the parents must do but you're over parenting if you go beyond what the boundaries are and you tell them what the moves are, right. you've got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. And the more you do that, the more it drifts away from boundaries and becomes, these are the six things you have to do to be successful in life. Mm-hmm. You're making a big mistake because they need to know deep down inside what the, you know, they need to keep working on how do you succeed in life? Every minute of every day, they're asking that question. An adult comes along and throws a curveball at them by saying, oh, and also you got to do that. Right. Well, yes, if it's necessary, you got to clean up your room, but. <laughs> right, right, right. One of the things I think of when I think of overparenting is trying to make all the right choices for them. Yes, correct. It sends this message that you can't be trusted to figure this out by your own compass. Yeah, right? completely, completely true. Completely. Yeah. That is it. If you think you have to guide them in all the moves they make, A, you might very well be wrong. Mm -hmm. And secondly, you'd be undermining their sense that they can actually do stuff. And besides, you're missing the point that let's say it's kick the soccer ball. You can tell them a few things, but they have to do it over and over again until they get it right. Yeah. And it's their inner mode, drive riding a bike. Riding a bike's a good analogy for almost everything. How do you teach a kid how to ride a bike? Well, you kind of help him along. Maybe you guide it a little bit, but he's got to do it himself. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that. There's a, there's a couple more questions I wanted to ask you that were specific to sort of challenges that come up. And one is, there's a lot of this, uh, my son has ADHD or he's right, got right, a, t- right. a touch of ADHD. Right, right. And you see the kid or maybe you're around him or and you see that... Um, he has a hard time staying on task, whether it's school or personal. He looks distracted. Um, is that, how would you address that? I mean, if the diagnosis is sort of, yeah, he's got a touch of this, how do you help the kid thrive when he's going to have to stay focused on something, right? The, the first thing to address is the whole subject of diagnosis. Education is not the medical profession. And a diagnosis of ADHD might be true in some some small percent of the population. And if it is literally a medical problem or a neurological problem, it's because of a malfunction of the reticular activating system, which turns on the lights in the brain and gets you gets you going. Now, if you have true ADHD, you need to take a small dose of, of uh, Ritalin or Adderall because that, that stimulates that, gets it working, and then you don't have to be hyperactive. Because hyperactivity is activating that. You're trying to, it doesn't activate itself, so I have to move my body to make it happen. Yeah. But so, first of all, don't diagnose, period. And gets got back to Max. A diagnosis of low self esteem was useless, totally useless. Right. 
the real diagnosis is he's underutilized. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's bored, lonely, and feeling worthless. Yeah. That's the real diagnosis. So, so if let's say if kids are not paying attention in class or having trouble focusing and getting distracted, each kid has to find their own way, their mm-hmm. own set of disciplines for succeeding at whatever that thing is. If it's yeah. making it in a boring classroom, you know, mm-hmm. how are they going to handle that? Mm-hmm. So much of ADHD is, I mean, the tension problem is that there's nothing worthwhile going on in my class. <laughs> right, right. That's a big problem, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and not, I'm not saying there's no such thing as, as true ADHD, but... Right. But most of big, one of the biggest problems in education is the is the propensity to diagnose because each child is unique and we ha- they have to figure out their own thing on their own, and we have to help them do that. It's experiment. Just keep the experiment going. Let's say you have a teen and he's starting to head down the wrong path. What would you advise? or coach parents if they notice this? Let's say your your son is is thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. He's been a good kid. Maybe he's a little hyper, um, but all of a sudden the grades are slipping. He's more moody. You're sensing that he's got a different friend group and you're right. starting to get concerned. Right. What, what would be something where you might say, hey, try this. You might, you might want to get out in front of this a little bit. Like what, how would you coach parents if they're going, I feel like my kid's starting to step on a path that might be trouble for him? Well, that's, that's a, a, a normal question and it's a, a an impossible question to answer, of course, because I mean, you just presented a whole set of symptoms, yeah, and only some apply to some kids. And back to what I was saying about each child being unique, mm-hmm. each child has to figure out what their route is going to be through all those um, pitfalls, yeah. through that jungle. And one thing that parents don't uh, do enough is ask questions and listen, mm-hmm. help the child talk about how he's experiencing whatever problem that is okay and then just by just by asking and asking questions and not being on his case mm-hmm. but being there for him knowing i'm here i believe in you i'm here for you yeah. um, i'm willing to help if i can it's probably something you have to handle but but tell me about it so at least i can understand what you're going through yeah uh, understand what you're going through is another good line Help me understand what you're going through. Help you un- help me with the experience, what your experience is. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the teacher is reporting to you one kind of thing. And, you know, people are saying, well, he's always sent to the principal's office. Mm-hmm. Do you understand anything from it being sent? to? No, you have no idea what the behavior is and what's motivating that behavior. And the only person who really knows is him. Right. He right. has to begin to become self-aware of what it is. He has a certain awareness of it, but maybe he hasn't thought of a different approach, a different strategy. Mm -hmm. And if you just engage him in conversation. But I know it's terrible for parents when a kid's going south, one thing or other. They need to recognize they have limited power. Yep. That's what's hard for parents, I think, right? They have limited power. But they need to be there for them. They need to ask questions, they need to continue to try and understand and strengthening their self-determination, their self-actualization. Keep you make you're making the choices. I'm with you. You can make bad choices, that's okay. It might be useful for the kid to understand all the mistakes that they made when they were growing up. So there's two things going on. There's how bad I feel 
And then there's how bad I feel, how bad I feel. Yeah. And there's yeah. the diagnosis that people are laying on me. And so I, maybe I really am screwed up. Yeah. When maybe they're just being normal 20-year-olds right. or 14-year-olds or 13-year-olds. Well, and I think some of it, Rick, comes back to what you were saying again, no matter what the age, they want to contribute and create. And a lot of these teenagers, right. they're not feeling like they're involved in anything that's super right. important. Right. Going, you know, and so they're going to look for a, other risky behavior because they're not, you know, exactly. hey, I'm not being utilized. You know, my input is not being valued on the important problems, right? Right, right. And, and we, we, it's normal for us to think, and most psychologists would say, the adolescent's prefrontal cortex is not well-developed, and that's where we're getting all this bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, let's work on just helping that prefrontal cortex develop. You can't give it the myelin and those neurons need. It has to be practice. I have to try and try again and make mistakes and fall off the bike and take drugs. I mean, how can you keep them from taking drugs? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody's ever figured <laughs> that out. Magic, <laughs> the magic wand. It's not abnormal for them to do that. Right. Homo sapiens, you know, has been doing drugs in all cultures all around the world. <laughs> it's just a different drug. That's a good point. How not to get hooked on it. And, and there we go, back to the original thing, which is, well, if you're getting your kicks from making difference, from mattering in the world, having, having a private partnerships, having people care about you, you care about other people, what you do matters, you're less likely to fall off the rails. That's a great, that's a great spot to end, a great note to end on. The genius in every child uh, go to Amazon? Yep. It's actually a great book. There, there are 19, uh, nineteen five-star reviews. It's a five-star book. And one of my favorites is, uh, is a parent told me, every parent ought to have this book on his bedside table. That's beautiful. Well, Rick, thank you so much. You're a really good writer. Um, I, I discovered you in an article online and I really wanted to speak with you. And thank you for all of your insights for your writing and your teaching around children and boys in particular. Thanks. And thanks, thanks for connecting with me. I appreciate this. Absolutely. Thanks, Rick. I love what Rick said about how important it is for kids to feel that they're contributing. I think we miss that sometimes as parents. I know I do. To get Rick's book, The Genius in Every Child, go to www.rickackerley.com and go to basecampformen.com to sign up for the newsletter and vote for your favorite episode of season one. Thank you very much, listeners, and have a great new year. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Again, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Base Camp for Men. Mm-hmm.